You are now listening to the All Right Talk Show with me, your host, Shane Trainer. Get insider knowledge as we explore the world of business, travel, property, investing, healthy mindsets, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the All Right Talk Show. We are here with a very special guest today. We have got the co-founder of Searchland, which is an absolutely amazing tool, which can help you find off-market land and property opportunities. And it does so much more than that in a quick and efficient way. And I'm going to get Hugh Gibbs, who's the co-founder, to talk all about it today and answer lots of uh, interesting questions. So Hugh, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Shane, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're very welcome. You are very welcome. So, you know, let's just get straight into it. What what the hell is Searchland? Yeah, what is Searchland? I've been I've been trying to answer this question for a while. Um, it originally was just a place to search for land. So I used to be a land finder. Um, but as it's grown and as we've built more features and tech has become the absolute center of it, it's now a land of searching. So it's essentially you bring property data sets into one place. That's your ownerships, your planning constraints, um, planning applications, put them on the platform and make them highly searchable. So it's really aimed for people looking for investment opportunities for that can be land or property. So think of your permitted developments or plots of land that you want to build new homes on, allowing you to assess those from a development potential point of view. So really answering the question, can I put homes here? Can I add value through putting a planning application in? If the answer is ever yes to that, great. Save the site, put it on your sort of to-do list, as it were, slightly more elaborate than that, and then reach out to the landowner. Introduce yourself, because it's not going to do much good just sitting there. So it's mm. um, it's really a prospecting tool off-market for site finding. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel that's um, very much what is what's needed, because, you know, Time means money and property developers and, you know, even people just in just looking for standard buy to let HMOs, that sort of thing. It's very time consuming, isn't it, uh, to go through um, searching for all these, you know, if you use Google Maps, which is what I used to do, um, it took a very long time. But, you know, uh, Searchland is just, it's, an, you know, I've used it, you've, you've seen, uh, I've had a great demo from yourself and uh, it's very, um, it's nice fast flowing and that's what I liked about it there was a really good flow to, to from finding the land identifying it and even um sending those off market letters as well yeah yeah and that's kind of kind of the point is um you know google maps great fantastic you can look at you can do a good satellite assessment of a site but there's so much more that sits behind it um and yeah the the number one goal is is you've got to reach out to someone so yeah the idea is how do we get you from looking at a site you've never seen it before you don't know much about it great run through all the, the sort of tick box exercises that you might have in your own dd and then contact the landowner yeah so getting you to that endpoint quickly is, mm. is kind of the goal there um, yeah yeah brilliant and just rolling it back a bit then so you you were searching for land yourself um what got you interested in in searching for land and what's your sort of background? Yeah, what got me interested in land? Um, that's an interesting one. Trying to avoid being a planner 
is the is the short answer. Trying to do everything I could not to not to do any more planning appraisals, and then somehow ended up doing a whole lot more in the process. Um, before I get onto that, I'll start yeah. with my background. So, yeah. um, the slightly longer winded version, which I may as well go for, because I don't usually talk about it, is I was originally studying history at, at Bristol University. Mm. Um, I'm quite dyslexic, although I was pretty ignorant of the fact until I got there realized that in my first month that it wasn't for me and then left. I was like, I'm not staying here. I'm not going to leave. Um, don't really see a life in history for me. So one of the things that you have to do there is you have to have an exit interview, which I thought was a bit weird, but they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, my dad's in property. So I think something in property, uh, they transferred me over and, and they put me, they said, yeah, you can go and study it and put me on a, um, the course is called urban design with real estate. Now it was at UCL. Essentially it was a degree in an undergraduate degree in planning and urban design. So how you plan for spaces, build spaces, basically design the cities people want to be in. Um, at its core and its practical, it's planning. That is how you design cities yeah. and areas and neighborhoods. Um, so I went through for that, then became a planner. I landed a job with a company called PRP. It's actually an architectural practice. Uh, and that was when I was introduced to how you actually put together a planning application. I was very unexcited by that prospect, the idea of wanting to build places and then suddenly seeing how it's actually done. It's very admin heavy. Uh, and as a graduate level, it's a lot of tick boxes, you know, going through sites and running appraisals. Um, but luckily 20% of my job there was to actually find land. So we're a planning consultant. Great. We have developer clients. Uh, we can go and find land for them, reach out to the landowners, get a fee for that, and then be held on retainer. Uh, for planning. So it was a win-win. Uh, the process I had at the time, now this is in 2018. So uh, sort of your off-market platforms were relatively in their infancy. Search land didn't exist, mm. although it was in the making at this point. Little did I, little did I know. Um, and so 20% of my job, go and find land. And I realized that at university, there was this one course that I did called GIS for urban design. If anyone on your podcast knows what GIS is, hats off to them. But essentially, it's a way of mapping data. Yes. Um, it's got a very steep learning curve. It's not particularly friendly, but it's very visual. It's basically, how do you take data and map it? Mm. Um, you would have seen all sorts of GIS maps. Um, and so in my hunt for land and, and trying to sort of be a graduate and trying to say, okay, what can I bring to the table? How can I sort of on my keep a little bit here because I don't really know much about property at the time. Um, I started playing around with this program and it was things like accessing key data sets, so land ownership. I mean, if you've ever seen the uh, the title deeds digital layer, it's a fantastic bit of data. It's who owns what land in Freehold. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's essentially the, the sort of um, the basis of site finding. You know, if you're going to contact someone, well, this is what you're going to contact them about. Uh, so I'd get that information. And then I realized that in my appraisals, I was always looking at flood risk. So I went out and got that information. Greenbelt, that's a common one. Uh, AO and Bs, they're on there. Uh, then your triple SIs, then they get some slightly niche data sets, listed buildings, uh, put it in one place. And then what you begin to get is quite a nice sort of holistic view of development potential. Um, when it comes to finding any site, it's saying how policy compliant can you be? Well, the easiest way to be policy compliant is avoid places that are constrained. So uh, that was really my introduction into it. Really liked that. I then was fortunate enough to be made redundant within a year. Um, fortunate enough. Yeah, exactly. With <laughs> hindsight. At the, time, yeah. at the time, it didn't feel that way. Um, but 
but yeah, no, so I had a few developer clients that was working with me. They said, hey, come come work uh, in-house for us. And I thought, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty fun. So I actually, instead of working in-house, I set up my own company uh, called Meridian. Uh, it was essentially a mapping company, but it was yeah. the core of it was the work that I liked, which was land finding. So finding land off market uh, and running through the processes. So I built a whole process for finding land quickly um, and essentially feeding the pipeline for other companies um, which was great and then sort of moved away from it because it was, yeah, I was earning a good day rate, but I didn't see a sort of long-term value in it outside of mm. you know, earning a sort of bit of money um, on, on that, that sort of structure. And then left that, went to work for the council for a little bit to get and understand what it was like on the other side of the fence, public sector. So as a GIS officer, very much staying within the world of maps. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I got a call from a, a, a software developer friend of mine saying, hey, you need to check out this, um, my friend, see what he's built, because I think you'd be interested. What it was, was the, the basis of Searchland. It was the scalable digital version of what I had built on the back end, which mm. was finding sites. And they had gone and done it. So you could have logins, you could users, you could do very cool queries and searches that meant you could find land very quickly. Um, and that was oof, about... 14 months ago, 15 months ago. Yeah, during uh, the pandemic, so right? Yeah, mid-pandemic. Oh, yeah, that was in full swing. Um, so so Searchland is very much a pan, a pro, uh, it's a product of the pandemic. If, if, yes. If, if, if it wasn't a lockdown, we wouldn't have had the time to do it. Mm. Uh, that's pretty crucial. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And that's one of the things um, I mentioned to you when we first met each other. It was like, you know, hats off. Um, hats off to anybody who started a business in um in covid uh because it was times of uncertainty wasn't it and you guys obviously have smashed it and you're still going strong and your user base is growing and yeah you did well yeah yeah no we are we are very fortunate um i think when it comes to the world of tech we we owe actually a lot of favors to that uh the idea that that you could have a meeting on zoom without people asking too many questions is unbelievably useful. Yeah. Uh, I remember in my first job trying to get a meeting on Zoom and it was not done. It's face to face. Everything was face to face. It's far too slow. Um, you know, when you're trying to build a company, you don't get enough feedback. It's the information sort of slows down right down. So um yeah, starting for us was particularly useful. And I think a lot of other tech companies would probably echo a lot of that. Yes, yes. So, so there's there's yourself and is there two other founders or is it is it so there's three three guys yes yeah, so there's three three of us in in total um that are out there uh, it's very much a tech heavy co-foundership so i i know enough about tech to, be able to speak to them mm. um however if they speak to each other it's straight away over my head so the other two are um one of them is a software engineer and used to work for a tech startup and the other is a tech entrepreneur and has sold up his last startup um and so he was more b2c which is why that's business to customer. And what's really crucial about that in our platform is when people talk about the workflow and they say the UI is really nice, that's partly yeah. because of that. Because when you're building for customers, which ultimately we are, but it's also businesses, that sort of quick win workflow, how do I go from here to here to here, uh, is everything. Um, yeah. And it's sort of that, a lot of those principles are baked in. And that's because, yeah, our, our sort of founder level is mostly tech. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned the UI there, actually, and that's something that um, a few people that I've spoke to that have used the, the software and the tools have said that it's very UI friendly. It looks sleek. It's nice. Um, yeah. And I guess that's, yeah, that's an added 
an added bonus because you know there's some softwares out there can be like really good powerful but they're just a bag of shit to use because because of the way <laughs> they look you know the blocky and it's like oh i don't like looking at it it's killing my eyes <laughs> yeah yeah Clunk, clunky is the pc way of, of describing those um but yeah, yeah that's that's testament to to yeah our founders so it's archie kennedy dyson and arthur goodhart are the two guys so hopefully you'll start to see their names a bit more so you got um, a kennedy there and a dyson that's like some entrepreneur kennedy, kennedy hyphen dyson how what, what kind of name is that that's yeah that, that, <laughs> That, that, that just smells um, success, yeah. that name does. In fact, while we're on the topic, it's Archibald Kennedy Dyson. He's going to hate me for that, but that's his, that's his full name. And Arthur Goodhart, those are two good names. <laughs> yeah, they just sound like um, wealthy generational men that's sitting there like, um, you know, like I'm family guy and they get the British blokes sitting there. Lord, Lord Chillington reading his newspaper in the smoking Yeah, room. that's the one. Yeah, those, <laughs> those guys belong in there. That's, that's where they start this company so they can retire and do that, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, you know what? Where did um where did the the name search land come from? I know that's pretty obvious because you're searching for land, but because it's sometimes the simple names are the hardest. Sometimes are the hardest to come up with. Did you find that, or was it just like a oh search we're searching for land? Let's call it search land. Yeah, I mean, I I actually wish I was involved in the naming a bit more, but I I arrived later than that. It's um yeah. it's. The name from them, I've asked a few times, is the idea that it's um, a land of searching. Like, that was their approach. You know, they're data scientists at heart. And so uh, it was really, um, you know, a big thing that you do when you've got a database is if you've ever seen a spreadsheet that's more than, say, um, 100 lines long, and 10 columns it's a nightmare it'll give you a mild panic attack looking at it yes but if you can search that data set it doesn't seem that way because you say oh i want to find something that looks like this this and this and then suddenly it's you're only looking at three results yes so that was kind of the approach and that's all searching that's all searching is how do you find the needle in the haystack so search land is kind of built around that Mm. uh, concept yeah yeah no, it's very, it's very, very clever how it does it because you know I would, I wouldn't know the first thing of where to start of how to you know um, do, do a, a land searching software because um, things we've just like incorporate in uh, getting the 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 title deeds, the title re- land registry details, um, the, the, some surveys. Uh, what is it? Flood flood zones and like flood zones in yeah. How do you do that? Is it you have to contact these companies that own all this data and you have to pay for that individually? That yeah, so for some of it, you have to pay for it. A lot of it's publicly available, um, which people are very aware with. You know, your planning application is great. Log onto a planning portal and yes. get it. The, the, the caveat is it's it may be free, but it's a pain in the arse to use. Yes. Um, so, yes, a lot of our data is public data sets. You can go out and find it yourself. Uh, some of it will be simply a matter of getting a commercial license. Because it's one thing to see it on someone else's screen. It's another to see it on ours. It's a commercial product. Mm. Um, so where possible, where available, we always go for a commercial license. Basically means we can wrap it up, cut it up, and do whatever we like with it. Um, for things like land ownership, there's quite a heavy ticket price for those. So we front those. Um, and that's separate to the this it's separate to what the three pound title deed fee is, which I'm sure you're familiar with. But um, yes, yeah. just getting hold of that digital data set, which again is is the basis of the platform. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite a high ticket price. You know, when you when you talk about scalable products, it probably gets watered down a bit. But I think if you 
but just to go out and think, I'm going to get hold of that data, you might think twice. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's done a pretty good job to to incorporate all that. Um, and I guess it has been a lot of hard work uh, to incorporate because, as you said, that the planning at portals, if you will, and the councils, they are very clunky and blocky to use and sometimes they're a nightmare and they time out. And, uh, you know, with, uh, with Searchland, I guess it's just like, you can see the council who who is it who the council is, and you click it, it takes you to the planning portal straight straight away, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that's, that's one of those things. It was it certainly wasn't by design when the councils did it, but um, the way that they display their data and present it is very friendly for a data scientist. It's structured. It may really? not look it at first, but it's highly structured. Um, you know, there's always a proposal. There's always a date. I say always, 90% mm. of the time. The 10% there isn't, it's actually a pain in the ass to work with. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's able to get, it's a lot of legwork. We, we started this exercise of getting data, uh, yeah, about 14 months ago, and we only will have had 99% coverage in December, so coming. Mm. So we're still very much collecting Yes. Now, it, will be, yeah. it will be the places quite far away that you might not have heard of, but we need to have 100%. So, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it takes a bit of time. Do you know a place that you haven't got yet? Is it like Isle of Sky or something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be one. Uh, I always want to call it's. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the same place, but there's, <laughs> I call it Isles of Skilly, which yes. is off Cornwall. I feel like an idiot because <laughs> I know that's not what it's called. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, did you say Isle of Sky? Isle of Sky, which is uh, near Scotland. All right, cool. So they are different places. No, Scotland, we got 100%. Oh, that brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we thought, wicked, let's just take Scotland off. Yeah. Um, yeah, Isle of Skilly. I'm going to find out what that's called afterwards. And do you cover uh, Northern Ireland too? Uh, not yet, but we will do. Um, Northern Ireland's lucky enough to be on a sim, not the same, but a similar um, sort of planning system. Yes, they have planning applications. Yeah. Uh, now we get lots of requests for Northern Ireland data, and that's somewhere I'm quite excited to go to because it doesn't seem like no one's covering it. But first, Wales, then Scotland. Yes. Northern Ireland. The main ones and the all the little islands like the Isle of Wight, Isle of Man, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, all the fun, all the fun bits. But once we've got them, we've got them, and then there's a matter of maintenance. So you know, just checking in every now. Or we've got reporting. So if something does go wrong, great. We can drop what we're doing, take a look yeah. at it. But yeah, planning applications take a, a good part of the time, but you, um, we've got over 35 spatial layers, constraints. You mentioned some of them, flood zones. Um, we'll be adding to that. There's probably 50 that we actually want in total. Wow, that's a lot. People always request more, and it's like one of those things where you jump on the platform, you, can, you know there's a data set out there, and you can see that it's got a home, well, then we'll go and get that and put it in. Mm. No, brilliant. And... I guess that's another good thing about about you guys. You you're a very community driven company in terms of you ask the developers what do you want, we will get it for you. We'll do our best yeah. to get it for you. Yeah, um, you know everyone everyone to some extent should do this. We we won't we won't take every request as seriously as the next, right? Yes. It's very much, uh, there is a process of saying, they say they want something, and I'm gonna ask them why they want it probably five times. Um, and I don't mean like, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Why do you yeah, want yeah. it? Why do you want it? Oh, because I want to do this. Oh, why do you want to do that? Oh, because I want to do this. And why do you want to do that? And so on, so on, so on. Mm. Uh, and then at the answer or the end of somewhere there, there is a great reason to go and do it, plus build all the things that they were actually hoping for. 
Yeah. Um, you know, letter sending is one of those things where it's a bit different because I always knew that we wanted a letter sender of some form. Um, but if, if you ask someone, say, on a different platform, what do you want? They'd say, oh, a quicker way to export addresses. Well, why do you want to export addresses? Oh, because I need to run my mail mergers. Why do you run your mail mergers? Oh, because that's how I contact them. Okay, so you actually just want to send letters. Yes, how many letters do you want to send? I want to send three. Okay, so what you want is an automated letter sender that can send three letters. Mm. That's not the same as just being able to export addresses. Yes. So that's the process. Um, you know, every any company that builds on, on that sort of customer feedback, or most companies should. Um, but one of the one of the reasons is it's it's a indefinite pipeline. You know, if we're a tech company and we say that we build tech, well, all I have to do is speak to a handful of customers and they'll give us some good ideas. Yeah, definitely. You kind of let them do the hard work in terms of generating these these ideas. And as you said, like all of them, sorry, the majority of them will be good, but you will get some that are not as good. But yeah, so the the letter one has obviously been um, a really good idea and has been praised quite a lot because of how simple it is. Because it's all it's all in house, isn't it? Um, the, the letter sending you can. Do you want to explain the letter sending process? Yeah, yeah. You, you said it was easy. It, it, it can be improved. Um, so again, when we build something, people say, oh, this is annoying. Oh, it's over here. And it's like, all right, let's take all these feedback and then put it in. But um, So it's definitely due some improvements, which we'll be doing over the next few weeks or months. Uh, how, how it works is, um, okay, so if you're going to send a letter, you need an address. On Searchland, there are three addresses you could ever send a letter to or would ever want to send a letter to. It's the proprietor's address. Um, and that can either be the address on the land registry document. So you pay your three pounds and you can find Mr. and Mrs. Smith at whatever the address is. Great. You know who the legal owners are. That's the best, in my opinion, that's the best one to go by. It's three pounds. Um, the second is the company address. So if you can see on search stand, you can tell if it's non-privately owned. If it's not private, then we can tell you the company who owns it, which includes councils as well non-private. Uh, occasionally, we have names for those as well. So great, you can have a name and a company address and you don't have to pay anything. You can send that. Uh, and then the third one is the physical address. If you're interested in a property, great, you can actually send a letter to that address. It's from Royal Mail. Uh, if it's land, you're not going to have a good time doing that because there's no address there. So uh, anyone who's looked at a land address will know it's land to the north of, land south of. Um, so those are the three areas you can send an address to. So we go get that information or you save a site rather, and then we have that information. Uh, the next part is a template. And if you've ever built a mail merge, it's not too dissimilar. Uh, it's all done on platform. So you can have the content of your letter. You can have what we call personalization tokens. So those are the things that change and make it specific and somewhat unique. So you could have a first name personalization token and then if you purchase the register then we'll be able to say hey first name whatever that is uh reference title reference number property address things like that so you build your template and you can have a couple in there and then finally um you've got to send the letter or generate the letter yeah. all that entails is is going to the step of saying these are the sites i've saved i want to send them letters um sort of a bit of work of setting them up a couple of clicks here and there then you've got them uh, press generate, and that's sort of a virtual printing at that point. And then all you do is at the end of the week or day, when you're happy, press send, and we'll send a PDF copy to our letter printer, a letter sender. They will print um, and post those as well. So um, the best use case I can think of is uh, you're traveling to site, 
maybe you're on the train, maybe you've gone to Birmingham, from London to Birmingham. Yeah. It's a two-hour train. Um, you can have your site saved and you can generate the letters for them and get them printed and posted without needing to be near a printer uh, or do any of that sort of hard work of, of mm. printing, folding, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, and monitor them as they go out. And, and that's kind of the exciting bit because then this is actually a prospecting tool uh, and it's waiting for those phone calls to come back, which is the goal. Um, yes. That's when the business actually starts because it's when we we stop and you take over. Yes, and is there a uh, a follow up um, like reminders on that sort of thing, or is it um, sort of down to you? So once that letter's gone, and two weeks later, is it up to you to 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 do that, or is a rem- like a reminder system? Are you going to be incorporating that in the future? Yeah, so at the moment it's entirely up to you. If you want to send a second letter, yeah. great, get a second template ready and then manage the process. That, in our mind, isn't good enough because, uh, again, it's that thing, oh, if you want a reminder, well, why do you want a reminder? Because I want to send a second letter. Well, why don't do that all in the front end? Yeah. So um, so we can actually skip that reminder step entirely and you could say, okay, I'm now going to have what's called a letter campaign. So instead of just sending one, I'm going to send, t- I, I recommend at least two letters mm, definitely. Uh, just from personal experience is, is too often these landowners get lots of letters and it can feel like people just canvas just just spray them out uh you send two you at least know that you're a bit more serious it gives you two extra pages without being overwhelming as well which is yeah. quite nice anyway the principle is if you're going to send two then i want to send one today and if i don't hear back in four weeks three weeks six weeks whatever your thing is send my second letter um and so the idea is we're going to have a, a point in the platform. This will be early next year. We're not looking at it just yet. That um, you set up your campaign, so your introductory letter, your follow-up letter. I like a closing letter, um, and there's quite a few different closing letters you can do. I'm happy to sort of talk about those because I've spoken to quite a few people and are now getting some good content. Um, but I'm a big fan of a closing letter, which is essentially a, a, a goodbye quite late down the line. Say so these are the timeframes I want to go out, hit send, and unless you stop them and pull them out of that workflow, they will all get letters. So that, in my mind, is going to be a very powerful lead generation tool because that's automation. And that's oh, what sort of um, other bits of software, not outside of site finding, but say CRMs do mm. really well. Um, and yes. it's why you pay for a CRM. Yes. Yeah, and I think again it goes back to that like time means money sort of thing. So as long as everything like needs to be as automated as possible, doesn't it? Yeah, automated. I'm I'm a big big fan of automation, provided you can build in human checks. Yes. Um, because you know it's 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 one thing to throw mud at the wall, but you can do it in a smart way. You know, you can do it in a way that 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 says, okay, there's. I'm going to put in these checks. I'm going to get rid of these 20% because I just know that they're not good and I've looked at them and I've given an assessment that a sort of tool couldn't and then you can build those in. But the idea is how easy can you make it for someone um, in that process? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, um, it's, it's a great way to do things and especially if you're trying to do a lot at a time and you've got a lot to remember and you're, you're, you're the, the save sites that you've got, you want to keep following up because that's what it's all about i think that's how you have to build that like what you said earlier you have to build that pipeline and as long as you've got that pipeline there will be you know you're sending out 100 letters a month or whatever one's gonna bite it's like um it's gonna happen isn't it yeah you, you know 
Um, because you've got to yeah. kiss, kiss, kiss a hundred frogs before you get that one prince or princess. <laughs> know, that's like the analogy I use. That's, that's that's basically it. You know, you're kind of you're kind of fishing when you're off market site finding. Um, mm. And you know, part of it is how big of a net do you have. Another part is like. Is, is the sort of bit where you add the human side, like what are you actually looking for? Are you actually just canvassing or are you being very mm. specific? Um, but yeah, time is money. You want to be able to do that as quick as possible. Um, and a big part, anytime you talk about a pipeline, uh, means you need to do something that's repeatable because I could fill my pipeline this evening or tomorrow or this week rather. Um, but if I don't do it regularly in a repeatable way, well, in six months time, if I stop working now, Mm. And I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to feel it then. So yeah, it's it's one thing to do it well once, but can you do it consistently? I think is a crucial bit. Um, and then it's like, and then it's just a system, right? You've got a good system. You've got like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Uh, you just it's a, it's a joy. It's a breeze. Yes. Yeah. No, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's uh, setting up that system and it's spot on. So what is the future then for for search and what? Is there some things you obviously can't disclose because it's like work in progress or have you got a lot of things that you're excited about that you can mention? Yeah, that's always a fun question. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. I'm terrible with trying to keep company <laughs> secrets. So um, yeah, what's the, the future for us is difficult because beyond six months is very hard to plan for. Mm. You know, we, we build very quickly and we build to quite a high standard, which is very nice. So it's very quite confident in talking about things that we'll deliver. Uh, but things can change. You need to change direction. Great. Well, then if you're an agile company, you can sort of adapt with that. Uh, in terms of things that we're working on that are exciting, uh, the first is what we're doing right now, which is a bit of getting more information, more data. And the data specifically is coming from um, council's local plans. So if you're not too familiar with what a local plan is, every authority, and there's about 348, that number seems to change a lot. There's about 300 plus councils, uh, and they're all responsible for planning what their council will look like. When I mentioned those studying and planning at university, yes. a big part of it is that, right? What do we want to build now that we can have in 20 years? And so there's lots of really good data in there um, about where the council don't want you to build, about where they do want you to build, and then some insights into what they like and don't like. Um, so site allocations are one of those bits of data. What if they approved? And they're usually quite big. Um, co-location is always good there. Uh, so we're going after that data, putting it in the platform. Um, and again, we'll build that into tools and make it highly searchable. That is a mammoth task, but that's something we're working on and starting to see some results. Um, some benefits that will spin out of that will be brownfield registers, will be more Article 4 areas, will be settlement boundaries, which we all know and love. Uh, and so we'll be able to put that in the platform. Mm. Um, those updates on automated letter sending, they will be coming. Yes. And those I'm very excited about because it will basically just say, set it up, hit go. And, and so long as you, you know, when someone gets back to you and you, and you make sure you don't send the second letter, that'll be a breeze. Yep. Uh, and you'll see a higher conversion rate as a total. Again, that's the goal. And uh, some other bits that we're working on that's quite exciting are, oh, I just want to brain blank. Um, well, just going back then, just um, what yeah. you think of that, um, the Brownfield registers, I just want to say that that's yes. going to be an amazing tool. And the reason for that is because uh, about a month ago now, four weeks ago, I spent a Friday night to a Sunday night going through Birmingham Brownfield register, and it had 900 and 
something like 49 sites on it and i went through every single right. one of them yeah and uh out of what those looking for? um any opportunity so not just land any old houses or buildings that um had laps planning for uh that to be turned into flats or even big large houses that you can potentially um that needed refurb that had been vacant for ages that the council identified that had just been sitting there to rot um yeah. all sorts all sorts um you know the what the process i did so i would um copy and paste the address have a look uh on um on like google maps or whatever to see it, have it been built then go to the um the 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 to see if it had planning actually because on the brownfield register it tells you if it's got planning or if it hasn't yeah. got planning which is quite it, that's very handy um but the thing is with the brownfield register the last time the birmingham one was updated was 2017 um so yeah it, that's a, the only annoying a a, thing it's a bit of a pain isn't it yeah but you know that took me a whole weekend and out of those 945 sites i identified 40 sites that were worth investigating further and that's just again following up calling architects and calling the agents who are dealing with those planning applications or contacting the companies or contacting the the neighbors so it, you know it's it doesn't just stop at going through the brownfield register so that that would have been a time saver i reckon um yeah that's all yeah you, you touched on something else that we're looking at is lapsed planning applications there's all sorts of things you can do to flag things with the they've flapsed whether they haven't discharged any conditions whether the the state of the ground hasn't changed because we've got data on whether a building's under construction and so you can see and say take a three a three-year milestone uh, milestone from it being approved um to be if after three years you can sort of make a bit of a judgment as to whether it's been built out or whether it's it's lapsed uh, and so there's a few things you can look at to flag it and it's a bit like the brownfield data set there where you're saying look we flagged 100 sites do some additional checks on your end that manual human effort and then you can qualify these leads further um yeah, yeah that, that process you spoke about there going through the brownfield register that is a site finding process it's saying okay here are 900 sites I need to get this down to about 50 because mm. I know there's probably only 50 in there that are good. You know, that's a little over 5%. Um, and then you've got, then you've got, you know, you're saying about 40 leads, was it? Out of that? Yes, about 40 leads, yeah. And that's where you can warrant spending your time further. Yes, um, yes. And it's how quickly can you get rid of the 860 to mm. warrant spending a bit more time building those relationships and you know, that's kind of what the goal is there is, is you need to speak to people, architects, planners, find out what's going on. Um, and that I think is where it's worth spending a lot more time on your end. And so we'll see how quickly we can get you there. And then you can do that process. I agree. It, it, it is, I'd say, yes, yeah, Searchland is the initial, isn't it? The initial work. And then everything after that is the, the, the real leg work. So which, but Searchland definitely saves you a lot of time. Like, for instance, the Brownfield register, that's the initial work. But that took me a long time where I reckon if I had the search land feature when it when it you know when it is out, um yeah. that, that would have just I probably would have done it in half the time. Um and just something interesting as well. Do you think you'd be looking into the Schlars, which is the strategic yes, housing yes. land availability? Schlars, Schlars, and Helars. Yes, we'll be looking into those. Ooh, what's the HELARS? I don't think I've heard of HELARS. Uh housing and economic land availability assessment. Oh interesting. I still remember that. No, I know the Schlar. The, the Schlar is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, to some extent, uh, there may be a, a subtle difference 
in it, but I don't think it's it's notable. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are the yeah. documents we'll be looking at. And Any just, reason in particular? Well, I'll be looking at the Schlars. Um, another another opportunity to find um, land, really, and and properties and things like that, because Birmingham has got a great um, Schlar map where yes. it's, a, I'm guessing you've probably seen it from the research yeah, I'm, you've done. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite familiar with the one that they have. It's really good, isn't it? It's, it's an interactive map. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a very good move from the council to make that. Whereas some yeah. of them, it's literally, it's a PDF document with sites on it <laughs> and you have to download the PDF document, copy and paste into, oh, I'm like, fuck, you know. So now you know how hard a challenge we have. I said 348 councils. I'd say 20, 30% of them might have an interactive document. Um, yeah, and the rest, ooh, it's a different story. PDF, download it, try and piece it together. Because how do you deal with, yes, you've got 350-odd councils or whatever. Was it 350 or 300, over 300? I, I go with 348, but 348. I think 327 in England, and then it's close to 400 if if you include everything. Wow, okay. 300 plus is the same. Let's say 300 plus then. So, so for instance, you've got um, where we're doing the barn conversion at the moment. Yeah. It's in the district of um, Stratford-in-Avon. Um, and then it's got its own small council, which is the Tanworth in Arden. Um, so do you get the data sets from them as well? Because I know sometimes councils... Like if I went on the Tamworth and I'm planning portal, it would direct me to the Stratford one. Um, I think, but I guess they have their own planning portal website as well. So it, sometimes it can be a bit confusing as well. So how do you get around that? Or is, it just, is that just a lot of legwork again? And, and It's uh, a lot of legwork at the front end. Uh, without knowing the two councils, it's difficult to say, but there's a lot of work that goes into unpicking and unthreading the structure mm -hmm. of councils. So some councils are combined, which means that they share planning responsibilities, yes. but also they'll be coming off a legacy document. So at one point in the not too uh, distant past, they would have been independent. And it means you get this awkward crossover where they're trying to merge two things, but they're kind of separate. And we use a lot of past data. So uh, without knowing too much about it, it's difficult to say. Um, but the idea is there should be a logical structure. Things will hopefully smoothen out over time as councils do combine and, and, and sort of share resources and they're responsible for the shared mapping. Yeah. Um, but you see it in a few councils that, that have combined recently, especially when it comes to housing matters. Yes. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That is actually how, how that, that would work on your end. But yeah. But yeah. It's an, inter it's an interesting one. And then there's a, there's with all these things with always with land, there's this, it's this idea that there's this big, relay race right uh, and the one of the ways of getting jumping into this is sort of picking bits of land that may be already moving so brownfield that's a perfect example schla that's a good example those sites already have a bit of momentum um, and you sort of touched on it what you're looking for are the ones that have slowed down have they lapsed has something gone wrong have they defaulted is there a reason they can't continue and you look to step in and see if you can keep the race going that's yes. how you pick that site up. Um, you can, with all these things, you can always take a step back and you think, okay, Schla is a good site to go by because the council says whether they like it or not. They're pretty binary. Yes, it can support housing or no, it can't. Um, and one of the things you can do is a call for sites. Are you familiar with call for sites? A call for sites? Yeah. Yes. So yes. So the council put out a 
well, like you said, a call for sites. And if you're a landowner or you know of a site, you can submit it. And then sometimes that will end up on the on the Brownfield register or their PDF documents. Yeah, exactly. Um, what it ends up in the schla, that's, how, that's where all those come mm. from. So yeah. uh, the idea is when a council opens a call for sites and you look at all the three plus councils, someone will always be having one on. That's a great opportunity to go and write prospective letters to to landowners and say this is who i am this is the state you've got to act now you've usually got a three-month window um and see if you can represent their site um and that's then that great way, idea. You're, you're sort of you're doing a very similar thing you're trying to get a site that's been approved or been not approved is a sort of misleading word there um it's been positively assessed yes. in that document which is important but you've done the favor of getting one step before. And then that's the site finding that I find exciting because you've actually taken a site that was stagnant and not doing anything and breathed a bit of life into it. Um, it's the same process, but it gets you to the same same result. Yes. No. Yeah, that's actually a really good um, tactic, that is. And I ha- that's something that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, so. Yeah, so one of the, I've got a, a note somewhere. Um of various ideas that I think would be good to implement. And will we? I, I would like to get to a point where we can have a call for sites watch list. So yes. we can say, this council's just opened their site. Because you've only got varies between six to, to 12 weeks. Yes. Um, but it's a short window, and you basically you don't need to own the site, but you do need to have a relationship with the landowner. You can't just whack it in and not have them spoken to them. Yeah, knock, knock on his farm farm door. Can I, can I uh, buy you site? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. How far, how far are you going to get? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a great opportunity. We, when we were a planning consultant, we used it all the time, you know, in the land finding, we thought, okay, which councils are open? Great. These ones, let's go and search there. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of time pressure on the landowner's part as well, which works in your favor. Uh, you say, hey, they're going to close this exercise at the end of the month. Um, you know, we can put something together very quickly and you don't need much more than a site plan uh, and a sort of letter. Uh, a covering letter and you're good to go that's a site submission are you familiar with Greenbelt yes so Greenbelt now now obviously with Greenbelt for anyone that doesn't know Greenbelt uh, it's basically just to put it simply it's countryside farm grazing land and generally you can't build on it only for special conditions or if the council's falling short the, 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 in the national planning policy framework which is this um document that gets put out every three years or something like that every three four years the mppf is uh it's updated on an ad hoc basis but it is ad hoc is actually every yes. every yeah. year or so it gets an update so yeah and then obviously each council can adopt um, bits and bobs from the MPPF and uh, adopt it to their own. Uh, but anyway, going back to the green belt, um, with with the green belt, um, there's rules and you know what you what you can and can't do in the green belt. And one of them, you know, you can't just oh, I'm going to get a big plot of land, um, you know, for a hundred grand and build fifty house on it. It's just not going to happen. Um, but with the green belt, if a council is falling short of houses. Is it? Would you say it's easier to get planning on that, or is you still have to go through all this assessment, or is it just yeah. easy? Easier relative to Greenbelt, the answer is still no. It's not easy. Um, so yeah, on on that Green Greenbelt is highly. It's some of the most protected land, um, and there is only one. Now there could be some very subtle discrepancies to this, but there's only one way you can ever get homes on that, and that's to get it removed from the green belt. So yes. 
that's the size of the challenge that you have. You've got a greenbelt designation. They've been there since you know post-war. They're designed to stop coalescence of settlements, stop merging of settlements, to basically um, contain urban urban developments. Yes. Uh, if you want to get it removed, it's effectively an irreversible process that will change the landscape, and it's highly protected. Uh, you can only get it removed via the local plan. So that's that document that's supposed to be updated every five years. Uh, your site will go through a lot of scrutiny. You'll get the probably the worst press you can get on a site because um, Greenbelt is a contentious topic by its sort of nature. Mm. Um, and yeah, only then can you can you sort of build on it. Now it's not to say that it's impossible, um, but if you're thinking about it for the first time, then. It, it, you could have reasons for hesitating and changing strategies. But yes, if the council is failing, so this is paragraph 11 or 14 of the MPPF, um, there are there is a clause in there that states that it, 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 sustainable development should be approved without any further hesitation. That's the line. Yes. Now, how that's actually implemented and moved and used is a subject for sort of your planning lawyers, people who are at the sort of top end of their game. But yeah, it will work, lean in your favor, but you still have to prove very special circumstances. Mm. And you are really getting into the world of planning law at that point. Yeah. And then which is way can, above my head. And that can be quite costly as well to your, you know, before oh, yeah, you even started yeah. anything. So yeah. Now it, it's, I've definitely seen sites that have gone through. Um, with way fewer headaches and actually been appropriate. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I can't name any, but um, yeah, so I used to be yes. a GIF officer at Tunbridge Wells Council. And we were going through the process. They've just submitted their local plan. We're going through the process of allocating sites. Some of those sites from the green belt. Um, and yeah, a handful of them had a good run. And I know some of them are not national home builders who've taken those forwards, which can be quite common mm. and haven't used planning consultants. So it does happen. Yeah, um, and Tunbridge Wells wasn't failing its housing delivery test. Local plan position uh, was failing local plan position, so technically that that paragraph yes. was active. Mm. So yeah, that that helped. So, I mean, I find it fascinating all this planning stuff. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Look, if if, yeah. if you know you strike me as someone who's big into their learning. Um, mm. A fantastic document is to read the MPPF. You sound like you're sort of somewhat familiar with it. I've got it. Yeah, the time I downloaded the latest one, the July MPPF, July twenty one. Yeah, some people probably listen to this. I'll probably go and use sad twat. <laughs> but I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love it. You know, it's really interesting you know, to find out what. Yeah, it's it's the back it's the backbone of planning in theory. Um, it's a good toilet read. I, I, I say it's, it's, <laughs> it's, sort of, it's broken into paragraphs numbered one yeah. to two hundred and something. Yeah. Uh, it's very memorable. Um, and it is the document that every single council has to adhere to. They basically reinterpret it, but in their own local context. Yes. Yeah. No, definitely. You know, I'll print it off tomorrow and I'll put it in the toilet so I can read it every day. That's a great Exactly. Idea. Get some of those those post-it notes that bookmark and a couple yeah. of highlighters. Uh, you have a I bit of a stationary set next to your toilet, but that's not Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. It'd be like an arts and crafts toilet room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some downtime. <laughs> cool. So... Um, all right, I'm going to give you this uh, one last question before we go on to the other questions, and that is, why why should people use Searchland over other platforms? Over other platforms? Oof. Mm. Um, 
this is I'm, I'm, I hate answering these questions. But gonna sell yourself. Uh, I, you should basically <laughs> where, where I where I'm very keen to see the industry, the my industry that I'm very focused on, which is you know off market site finding, is a point where there is diversity in platforms. So. If you're very into one specific thing, then great, there's a platform for this. If you like land, great, there's a platform for this. Uh, Searchland is carving out its own niche. So I absolutely want it to be a platform where people, if they've got a need, can associate with that and we'll be the platform that speaks to you the most. Mm. So I do think there's going to be a good amount of diversity in the next few years because we're a new company. Why people should join us? Uh if you are remotely interested in how planning and property data works, we give you the most of it. And it goes back to that point that we were talking about at the beginning, you know, what is searching? Searching is finding the needle in the haystack. So our platform is designed to find needles in haystacks. It basically gets rid of the haystack. Uh, that process gives you very familiar with the data, um, concepts of planning. It puts you. It puts those concepts on your lap. So if you ever want to read a refused planning application in a couple of clicks, you can find those. Um, and that's the learning process. That's the that's the learning curve that we're all, all on. I'm learning constantly. Um, and so yeah, if you want to be part of that, if you want to be part of the growth of the company, and you've got some weird and wacky ideas that you don't think anyone's listening to, I will, <laughs> or the company will. Uh, and yeah, I think it'd be a company that we can sort of grow around the user base, but. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. We're trying to just add a bit of diversity to the choices that are available because there aren't that many. Mm. Um, so what's what's one more to yeah. the pile? No, yeah, I think that's a great answer. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Superb. Cool. So part of the show now, which is my uh, long avid uh, listeners um, will know, it, I I uh, I ask you uh, three random questions which um, there are sometimes use the same ones because I like to genuinely genuinely know what the answer is to them. Sometimes I, I get bored, so I change them. But yeah, I did ask you this earlier, so you've had some time to think. So normally it would be three questions, but I'm going to ask you four. So what is your favourite movie? That's what I get. That's what I get for asking what the question is. I knew yes. you were reluctant to tell me. Uh, <laughs> all right, because I've had time to think about it. I'm going to give you a long answer for this yes. one. Uh, big fan of Western films. Interesting. Like a good Western film. Uh, Fistful of dollars, a um, few dollars more, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, those are my those are my sort of favourites. Cowboys and aliens. Slow. Sorry. <laughs> Cowboys and aliens. Cowboys and aliens. Is that with is that Will Smith? That was um, Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig. Harrison Ford. Oh, I'm going to put that on the list. There That's we go. a great film. Obviously, it's not really um, the same Western times, but yeah, it's just... Yeah, yeah. I need to give that, give that a watch. Uh, last week, watched uh, Harder They... F Bigger They Are? Or The Harder They Fall? With a bit of Idris, a bit of Idris Elba. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a new one, isn't uh, it? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, that was the dummy question. So let me heavy with the three random ones. Well, just a fun fact for you. Um, I okay. was I was actually named after a Western film. Okay. It's called Shane. <laughs> Have you ever watched I assume, it? I assumed <laughs> it was called Shane. How come you were named after a Western film? It was my, my granddad's favourite film. Uh, and he was like, was calling calling him Shane. He started. Was, I think he came out in like nineteen fifty three. Started an actor called Alan Ladd. And the only reason I know that is because of I know the story of why I was where my name came from. Why? why yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's got that fame. I don't know if you ever heard the famous saying. It's like, come back, Shane. Have you never heard that phrase before? I haven't. But my my movie list that I'm I'm watching is always growing. So mm, there you right. go, Shane. Yeah. It's one more. You got to watch Shane now. Cool. 
And anyone else listening, you got to watch Shane. It's a great film. Isn't there a film called? There's a film called Hugo, but not Hugo. As I was just trying to think, there's a film called. Yeah, Hugo. two very different names. I do yeah, get, I do get yeah. called Hugo a few times, oh. but yeah, I'm unfamiliar definitely. with a film called Hugh. No, there isn't one called Hugh. Though. Well, there's an actor called Hugh Grant. He's pretty good. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, that's how I. Um, if I'm ever on the phone to someone saying hello, it might well say my name's Hugh. Yeah. Who? I say, uh, you know, like Hugh Grant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an easy way to skip to the skip yeah. to it. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, what is your favourite uh, burger toppings? Burger toppings. Mm. Oh, is this a regular question or a one on the spot? It's the first one I've ever asked. To be honest, this one. Last one you've ever asked. Yeah. Uh, favourite burger toppings is an egg. Interesting. That that's like um. That's like they do in New Zealand. There you go. You know, you know where it is. You've been to Queenstown, right? In New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Have you Ferg Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Big out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my parents are from New Zealand, so egg no and way. beetroot was a fairly common one. That's right. Um, yeah. You don't the, see it here. The kiwi it, burger. Oh, okay. Yeah. McDonald's. Kiwi here. burger. Yes. Kiwi burger. If you ever go to a burger place and see a kiwi burger, it'll have beetroot and egg in it, most likely. Mm. And it's really nice. I don't really care for the beetroot. Egg though. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, love that actually. And um, whereabouts in New Zealand are your parents from? Queenstown or? Uh, no, no, North Island. So uh, between Auckland and a place called Mangawai, which is about two hours north. It's kind yeah. of a hick surfing town, um, or at least when I was last there. Uh, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love New Zealand. Uh, did it for a year, tra- traveled to work there for a year. And, yeah. I saw a picture of you in uh, Hobbiton. Oh, yes, at the uh, developers' <laughs> network. It's like, I know that place. <laughs> yeah. when, it, when in New Zealand, you got to go and visit the Hobbits. Yeah, dress I've, up never, I've never actually been. It's on the list. But, oh, uh, you got to get there. I, I drive around it at all costs. But yes. yeah, maybe next time I'll go through. Next time, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, next question. Okay, so... Well, I'm trying to think of ones where I haven't. I thought you're reading these off a list. No, I've got got no list. Um, I wish I had a list. <laughs> oh, what's your favourite um, ice cream flavour? I've asked that one before. Uh, favourite ice cream is coffee flavoured ice cream. Mm, I've heard anyone say that before. Yeah, coffee. I love coffee flavoured ice cream. Bailey's and coffee ice cream. Oh Ooh, God, talking my language. That was how I started drinking <laughs> coffee. Was through. Um, from from originally having coffee ice cream thinking oh this is a good flavor mm. um was it yeah. an accident like when you had the coffee flavored ice cream uh no i liked actively liked as a sort of teenager coffee flavored ice cream um, mm, that's interesting because not many teenagers enjoy coffee because it's like a bitter taste isn't it yeah yeah no i don't know i was definitely drinking coffee before others but i'm pretty sure it's because i had the gateway the gateway drug of coffee ice cream yeah slippery slope yeah. for any mm, uh that is growing. nice yeah Okay. All right. Uh, what is your favourite fiction book? Fiction book. Oh, you got me there. Um, my favourite fiction book is... I'm, I'm trying to decide between two. Um, Neuromancer. A book called Neuromancer. I think it was written in 1982 or 4 or mm. 64 or way back when, before I was born. Um, you heard of it? You familiar with the book? I haven't. Tell me. Uh, it's the book The Matrix was based off of. Ah, oh, brilliant. Is, is what they say on the blurb. 
if you can read the book and make that conclusion, you'd be you'd be very imaginative. Uh, it's yeah. essentially one of the early early sort of sci-fi's that was to do with um, linking into the mainframe. Mm. <laughs> basically, getting hack. It was <clears throat> basically there were again cowboys. They were called cowboys who who would hack into computer systems by linking in or, or, or jacking in. And it was sort of your steampunk sci-fi, like the world looks horrible, but these guys get off on, on sort of log hacking into computer systems and being yeah. there, which I think is the matrix link right there. Yeah. It kind of um, sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I found, I actually found it impossible to I've tried to read it like three times, put it on audio book, loved it. I've listened to it probably five or six times. Um, there's so much description that goes in there. William Gibson is the, the author. Um, he's got some good, good books, good books. Highly recommend. Yeah. Like that sounds like a great book actually. Yeah. A bit of vintage, vintage sci-fi. Yeah, that's the fiction, fiction side. I mostly read sort of non, non-fiction these days. Mm. Yes, yeah, that's that. But mainly my book pile, just pure non-fiction stuff. But yeah. you know, I should should turn to a fiction every now and again, just to like, you know, enter another world for a few hours. There we go. Try and pick up this book. Well, the the other one I was going to say is um, I Robot, which a lot of people like. Uh, what? Why would you ever read the book for that? But it's again, it's very different to the film. Similar, yes. but very different. Did it come out years before the film? Yeah, 54, I think, Isaac Asimov. Ah, um, wow. He's a Russian physicist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's built, it's, the book is off the three principles in iRobot, which is like a robot can never hurt anyone. A robot has to help someone always unless yeah. it violates the first. It basically three rules that become very tight and um, they try and work out when, when a robot has violated them. It's like an investigation. A, um, yes. uh, it's a sort of psychology investigation as to why the robot could do that and justify those three rules upholding. Mm. It's a it's a good good book for 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 that sort of thinking. But it's it's sort of a um, yeah, it's similar to the film, but at the same time, yeah, it does. Yeah, I get with with books you get more context, don't you? And more more descriptive and kind of like when people were outraged with some of the Harry Potter films, how they miss loads out. But you, know, I watched the films. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. I never really watched the watched the films. Yeah. And definitely didn't read the books. Yeah. Far too many. Far too many words involved. <laughs> awesome, mate. It's um, you know what? It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, you've been a really really good guest, and you know how can people, um get in touch with you and and uh, and, and more importantly how can people uh, get access to searchland yeah cool well yeah thanks it's been a pleasure being on here um you know i'm gonna listen to a few of the other ones and see what people said for their three questions Brilliant. curious yeah, to know how I, how I did anyway uh yeah how can people reach out if you want reach out directly on linkedin i love it when people reach out on linkedin um you know i'm pretty easy to find on there um, that is where I spend a lot of my time. Otherwise, go via the website, searchland.co.uk. Um, you know, and if you are interested, there's a free trial. Uh, I will email you enough times that if you do want to reach out, you'll have opportunities if you sign up for the trial. Um, but yeah, go on, see what we're doing that's a little bit differently. Uh, and like I said, if you've got any weird and wacky ideas, run them by me. I won't necessarily build them, but I'll consider <laughs> them. <laughs> he will listen to you. That's the main thing. I will listen. I will listen to them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, and also I'd like to um, announce as well that um, Searchland has become a sponsor 
for the developers network in in Birmingham as well. Um, so congratulations, Searchland as well. So Searchland will be coming, uh, and Hugh, you'll be coming with um, yourself and someone else, I believe. Yeah, uh, likely Arthur or Archie to be decided. Bro, um, maybe both, but unlikely. Bro. Yeah, well, you know what? If you got if you guys come, they'll be coming to the Developers Network in Birmingham, Edgebaston Golf Club, twenty third of November, and you'll be hosting a mastermind table to help people. Uh, find sites and and show people how to utilize the powerful tool that is Searchland. Yes, yes, I will. Yeah, um, definitely recommend going if you're hearing this before then or any of the others. You're running for 10 more months, is it, after this, 11 months? We've got it for the next three years. Three years, there we go. Mm. Definitely recommend coming. It's not the sort of thing you go one, two, and then done because Mm. I've, I've been to quite a few networking events now and that's one of the first ones that you have every shape and size of developer whether they're new experience getting into it in one room yeah and usually they lean a bit too heavily on one side or the other but this this one really strike the balance but yeah certainly recommend recommend giving it a visit appreciate that and you know what? a lot of people said that which was a which was our aim it was our aim to to get a balance in the room i don't know how we managed to pull it off but i guess our network you didn't of kick, people you didn't kick out got... too many people you see too many solicitors and think Ooh, yeah like oh too, too many yeah, you guys yeah. <laughs> too many newbies we need a fine balance here yeah so <laughs> no, no, well, yeah. whatever your whatever your secret source was whether it was you just promoting the good word i think it definitely worked so yeah looking forward to the next one brilliant yeah looking forward to see you there Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. You've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Right, everyone, that's been the Oro Talk Show. We'll see you again soon. Ciao for now.